with the real Arthi Anhal. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank, Thank you. you. Good. Thank you for coming. Now, the guys, the reason why I said real, because she was famous and she is in this magazine. <laughs> so that's why we have the real one. Oh, thank you very much. So real. we're going to have to get her to sign this before she leaves because, you know, why not? <laughs> right, guys. So Arthi, before we start the interview, um, how you're going to flick through the mood book and mm -hmm. tell us how you're feeling. Okay. So let's see how she is doing. I think, oh, I think um, contemplative. I'm feeling contemplative. Okay. Ready to contemplate and share. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Good. So um, she's feeling contemplative. So let's see how she feels. At the end, we'll ask you again how you're feeling and okay. then we'll compare. Okay. And hopefully it's a positive outcome. <laughs> Tell me about your very first job, Back to Basics. Wow. So Back to Basics, my very first job. Uh, so the first job I ever actually received money for uh, was at the age of 18. I had just started at university in London at King's and I decided I needed to make some money to fund myself. And so I took a job at Next the fashion brand retailer, okay, yeah. uh, in the menswear department on Bond Street. Wow. So I basically spent every Thursday evening and full day Saturday, sometimes Sundays, um, selling men clothes that they either thought they needed or that, that they thought they wanted. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then what about your first kind of industry type of job? Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because having contemplated previously on, yeah. on that job, um, I think it kind of started me off very early in my career in terms of working with men and understanding what they wanted and okay. what they needed and being yeah. able to develop the relationship to kind of sell to them, um, which has kind of been a theme for my whole uh, career, really. But my first, I guess, official job was working for a think tank okay. um, that was focused on cyber. So it's called the Information Assurance Advisory Council, oh, okay. IAC, and that was in 2001. Um, and that was the first real think tank to look at cyber from the perspective of government policy and businesses to try and bring about dialogue. So, yeah, so I started by cutting my teeth on cyber in the early 2000s. Wow. So she was kind of leading the way before we all cyber got um, popular. So there you go. <laughs> Some things still haven't changed about the dialogue around cyber. Some things have, fortunately. Some things have, yeah. yeah. But, oh, wow. Interesting. So retail and then straight into yeah. the resilience field as we know it today before nine <laughs> before nine <laughs> before nine guys it's not actually before nine right now but this is Arthi's business um, tell us more about what that is so I guess the concept of before nine and I always have to explain to people yeah. that if they're not morning people it's okay they could be before nine in <laughs> yeah, the evening yeah. um, it was really based on my perception of the world of work Okay. And what I was seeing in, in particularly the latter part of kind of my operational resilience career, so kind of 2010 onwards, was that we were all very good at focusing on process and procedure when it came to risk, risk taking, yeah. high pressure situations, incident management, crisis management. But the third P, the people part, was often kind of neglected. It was as much as, do those people know what the plan says? Great. And, and have we tested them? Great. And I thought, well, there's so much psychology that goes into yeah. our human performance. And then I took another step back and I looked at the world of work generally. So not just resilience, but just the way that organisations are operating. And I felt that actually there was a real gap in how people were being developed from a you know, mental health, well-being, psychological resilience perspective. And kind of being invested in to give them the tools 
to support business as usual, mm. to support the transformation that all the organisations are going through, yeah. and to support those kind of incident and crisis situations. So I set up Before Nine in 2017, really with this idea that I want to help people feel that they have the mindset, the emotional muscles, and the behaviours that support them in dealing with whatever happens once nine o'clock comes along. So that can be in your personal life, your professional life, you know, what your stakeholders bring to the table, uh, what your competitors bring. Um, and, and I guess that's really where it's come from. It's this idea of how do we bridge what people need and how do we bridge what organisations need from their people and find this kind of package that takes psychology and business performance and brings it together. Because it's really important, isn't it? Um, because we're not, it's, your whole essence is people side. So, and that brings me on to the next question about personal resilience. Mm. And in your article, you had these uh, characteristics listed. Mm. Mm. Uh, but we're not going to go through all of them. Um, but just in terms of what that means to you mm. uh, from a personal side, what is that? So it's been really interesting because I guess when I was um, a lay person, not working in the psychology field, okay. you know, for me, resilience was just, you know, can we withstand and can we get back up again? Mm -hmm. And actually now I've learned a lot more about, you know, actually what is that personal resilience? And I call it the three R's. So it's okay. resistance, which okay. essentially in terms of a metaphor is being rooted. So can you stay rooted? But resistance alone is not enough. Okay. So I think often we think of personal resilience as being single minded and driven and persevering. But actually, if you overuse that, it's stubbornness. So the second oh, okay. part yeah. is... Uh, recovery which is the adaptation so whilst you're the tree that's rooted you're also a palm tree that's kind of able to blow with the wind and recognize when the situation is changing so I think as human beings we need to be better at not just sticking in the ground actually going right this situation requires me to think differently respond differently and then the third part that I think we really ignore personally is how are we going to reconfigure transform as a result of what we've experienced you know we always talk in the industry around like organisational resilience and say yes it's about the response and it's the recovery but it's also about the transformation afterwards what do we learn as a result of what we've gone through and I think that really applies at the human level yeah. and I think it also applies in organisations where I've kind of seen people go right we've experienced something but really we're not going to action any of the learning yeah. we're not going to institutionalise any of that and I think that's the real gap for, and it's also the gap for us as humans if we don't learn and transform yeah. as a result powerful stuff guys <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from the personal resilience, mm. what about our resilience in the workplace? Mm. So <clears throat> I think this is a really interesting point and I guess my approach here is really human first, okay. which is building the resilience of the human being so that whatever they experience personally and professionally, they're able to resist, recover, reconfigure. Um, and I think what's particularly important in the workplace is recognising that we may not control all of the aspects around us that we would like to, yeah, so true. but that actually we have a lot of power in terms of how we interpret situations. Okay. And so I do a lot of work with organisations around the thinking traps that we all carry as individuals that mean that when we are faced with difficult or challenging situations, those thinking traps are actually what's creating our emotional response. So I'll give you a really interesting example, which you wouldn't think is a high pressure situation, but which okay. is almost institutionalised. Um, <laughs> so when I'm working and doing resilience training for teams, a lot of the thinking traps they experience are about other people. Those people never give us budget. These people never respond to us. Those people don't take us seriously. We make big sweeping generalisations. 
And then as a team, we carry those thinking traps with us. And whenever we experience them, they kind of become ingrained and we start yeah. to feel emotionally kind of anxious, angry, bitter. Now, those are thinking traps that we can overcome by just changing the way we're looking at someone else's behaviour. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of that that we could do in the workplace that would actually improve our relationships with those people yeah. when we really understand that the reason they don't listen or our perception is they don't listen is that they're under pressure to do something else. The more we can build that understanding, the more we can A, fight our own thinking traps, improve our own performance. Um, so I see that as a lot of the value of resilience in the workplace. It's less about are you getting your sleep and are you eating your meals? Because I think we as human beings now, we get we have a lot of great information about that. Of course, yeah. It's how do we change the way we think? How do we reframe situations? And how do we look at situations from multiple perspectives? I think that's the real value. So we are women in resilience, <laughs> um, obviously. And with that comes a lot of challenges. And... I love to ask this question because people go from they've had no challenges being a woman to oh my god I had so many so what where are you on that scale and if you've got any short stories to mm. share with us so it's interesting because I see it as a spectrum here you've got the opportunities and here you've got the challenges okay, right yeah and and yes by and large I have perceived and again it's a mental thing isn't it yes that yes, the situations I have found myself in have been opportunities okay. for learning for growth to build my own confidence um I can't think of the conventional challenges that a lot of women talk about in the industry that I haven't been noticed, I haven't been promoted, yeah. um, I haven't had equal pay, I haven't, um, you know, um, been able to sell myself or been, you know, heard at, at senior level. I haven't experienced those issues okay. myself. Um, I would say that my challenges in my career as a woman in resilience has been about managing my boundaries and managing my resilience. So in my previous role, I was CEO of a startup. Um, the first three years of that operation were very demanding, mentally, physically, emotionally. And um, I think there were definitely times when I could have managed my own well-being okay. and stepped yeah. back more okay. um, and not been so consumed in that identity that I had. Okay. Because I think oh. that I think the issue is less about gender and it's more about boundaries. So, for example, I'm a very all or nothing person. Okay. And when I'm all, I'm really all in. And actually that in itself creates issues for my boundary setting and my right, well-being. Okay. So I think one of my challenges has just been around becoming better at managing my boundaries so that I do things that I'm passionate about, that are valuable, that are recognised, um, but that also keep me balanced, happy, healthy. So we were just talking about boundaries and uh, Arti has some tips that we can take away to actually put that into practice because that's quite important it's, it's all well knowing the theory yeah. but how do we actually make that work so over to our, over to our expert here. so I can't claim this tip as my own but my coaching supervisor shared it with me when actually I was struggling with some boundaries okay and you know we hear this phrase win-win all the time which is yes I'll take on that piece of work or I'll work with this client or I'll I'll go the extra mile because it's a win for me and it's a win for them um, and we can make those judgments quite quickly because we'll go it's a win for me personally professionally it's a win for them they get what they want yeah um, and she introduced me to a Japanese concept actually which is really win 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 which is actually yeah. it should be a win for you it should be a win for whoever it is you're doing that for but it should be a win for the system and the system can be your health your well-being enabling you to be in the best possible place to to deliver what you need to deliver to that person and I think sometimes we forget to take that system view okay. um, so I think that's definitely one tip and the other very quick one I would give is really 
I think when we struggle with boundaries, it's because we're so caught up on what someone else is going to think. So when we say no, what are they going to think about us? And I think this is where we are carrying too much of the responsibility sometimes yes. for what someone else is thinking about us. Yeah. It's their responsibility to think what they think. Yeah. We can't always control that. All we can keep doing is doing the work, you know, doing the right thing. And I really, I really believe that that will then translate. Um, and some people will get it and some people won't. But I think sometimes we're scared of saying no because we think, People will perceive us to be lazy. People will perceive us to be unhelpful. And they probably wouldn't think it of anyone else. So I think we need to depersonalise that a little bit. Powerful stuff, guys. So take that away. And if you've used this, then um, message me at Arthi and let us know how that's worked for you in situations because we'd love to share some of the learnings. Yeah, that would be and, great. And I, I love the win-win-win thing. I think, I think we can call it hashtag win-win-win. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hashtag win, win, win. Um, if you've got an example, tweet us, uh, Instagram, whatever. Let's do it. Advice would you give newbies coming into the industry? So it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think with entering an industry or career progression, people think very uh, practically. So how do I land this role? How do I gauge with these people? How do I negotiate a pay increase? Um, how do I get myself noticed? So I'm going to do something slightly different, obviously, because I want to bring some positive psychology into this. Um, and I would say that actually when you're thinking about why you want to be in this industry, why you want to do the role that you want to do, why you want to apply for the job that you want to apply for. Mm. I think it's really actually great to check in with what's driving you at the okay. human level. So what are your values and drivers? Because if, for example, you're driven by altruism and the desire to help people or driven by the desire to learn, and acquire new knowledge, then actually going into a role that is going to promise you great money, but doesn't give you learning and growth every day, is going to feel incredibly frustrating. Um, and vice versa, you know, and I think that when we look at what makes people happy and what makes them fulfilled, um, checking in with those values is really important. I think the second thing is actually then to think about what strengths you have. Okay. So I think a lot of people talk about, well, I've got these technical strengths. I'm a great project manager. I'm a great uh, report writer. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to enjoy that job. That just means you're going to spend time doing things that you're good at. What we really need to find out is what are our human strengths? Now, I know I've asked you to do this survey yes, before. Have, and yes. hopefully we can flash up a link. We will. But there yes, is a free yeah. um, uh, evidence-based strengths finder test called VIA, Values in Action, uh, you take it and essentially it helps you to see what your human strengths are. So what are the things that are, make you you? Uh, and it might be leadership, it might be teamwork, it might be um, appreciating beauty and excellence in others. When we combine those strengths, and then you can get a report on those, um, with our technical strengths, we're in a much better position to package that up, to actually not only be good at what we do, but to really love it. Um, so I suppose my advice to newbies is really get deep, get under the skin of what you want to do and why you want to do it. Because I also think that that builds the resilience when you're in that industry. Okay. Because once you know why you're doing something and what you bring to the table, those are going to be the aspects of yourself that show up when it, times get tough. Coaching, mm -hmm. in sort of your words, what, what does that mean? Because there's a lot of confusion out there with all of us in understanding what that is. So what would you say that is? I think it's a really great question because I think even when I first started mm -hmm. uh, coaching, uh, and it was something I had done informally in my career, but obviously okay. I do now formally through Before Nine. Um, I think I probably did coaching in the sense that I was 
coaching people, but I was also mentoring them. Right. So I was giving my advice, I was giving my experience, I was sharing my thought. The clearest way of thinking about coaching is that the coach is there to help someone else unlock the answers to their performance or their well-being or their resilience. And I think for me, it's based on the idea that the brain that has the question has the answer. So my job as a coach or any coach's job really is to facilitate a discussion that enables you to self-reflect, dig deep, learn about yourself and create actions and next steps and plans that come from within you. Um, and I think that that's often the misunderstanding because yeah. there are a lot of coaches that will say I'm a career coach or I'm a resilience coach. And actually part of it will be mentoring or even worse, part of it can step into the boundaries of therapy, which is actually far more related to helping someone overcome a trauma that they have experienced. Right. OK. Um, but I think what's great about coaching now is that you can see a lot of organisations got in-house coach capabilities, um, as well as using externals like myself. Um, and I think what I'm finding really valuable about it is that companies are investing in their managers and their senior managers to equip them with more coaching styles of management. Okay, yeah. Um, so moving from command and control team, this is how you do it, to team. Let's create the space in which you explore how you're going to go and do yeah. something and learn. Um, and then also the work that I do with executives is showing me that there are a lot of leaders out there who are open, very open to self-reflecting and learning. Okay. Um, but yeah. I think if anyone is considering embarking on uh, receiving coaching, I think it's really important that you ask the right questions of a potential coach to understand how they approach this difference between coaching and mentoring. What, so if I was looking for a coach and mm. I'm kind of confused between a coach and a mentor and what I need, mm. what kind of questions should I be asking? So if I came to you and said, like, can you coach me? But actually, I don't even know what that means. What, mm. what should I ask you? So I think, so for example, if you felt that you wanted to learn from someone's experience, yeah. if you wanted to increase your expertise in a subject, then um, that's perfect for mentoring. Like, I want to learn how you progress so that I can progress. Or I want to learn how to be better at uh, doing risk assessments and I want a mentor. Yeah, okay. um, The coaching is far more around, I want to move forward and have a vision for what I want to achieve in relation to X, Y, Z, but I don't know how to start. Okay, yeah. Or I want to be better at managing my emotions I don't know how to do that. And then with the coaching, you explore, because the answers are within me or the audience, um, it would be me t like figuring out the answers rather than you telling me. Yes, but uh, and the coach yeah. is still working very hard in that relationship. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. what I do and what all coaches, good coaches do, is that they are constantly reiterating back to you and summarizing what you have said because sometimes I think the most powerful learning that comes from coaching is when someone hears themselves say what they're saying and then they go I had no idea I felt like that <laughs> I know I, I had no idea that that was what I wanted to do with my life or I had no idea that that was the thing that was stopping me then as okay. a coach you can move on to kind of exploring that okay. so all the answers are coming from you yeah um but you know I think it's really important for people to understand the distinction that doesn't mean that you couldn't choose a coach that might mentor you for 5% of the time. Yeah. But it's always got to be very clear, and I'm very clear when I'm working with people, that when I'm wearing the coaching hat, that's who I am. Absolutely. When I'm wearing the mentoring hat, that's who I am. Okay, great. Um, do you have to, and I know some of you guys will be thinking this, so I'm just going to ask it. Yeah. 
do you have to be in an executive position to get coaching? Because there's that whole stigma around, oh, only executives, I'm, I have an executive coach, and oh, I'm too young, or um, you know, I'm not in a senior position, I shouldn't get a coach, I should be mentored. What are your thoughts on that? I think you can have a coach at any stage of your life or your career. Well, there you go, guys. <laughs> Um, one of my favourite things, we love them, here over at the Resilience Pod and I've asked Arthi to bring her current favourite book and she's going to share that with us. I am. I'm just really excited to share this with you. So this book is called Flow yeah. um, and it's by a guy called Mihai Chixen Mihai. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe you can put the, the uh, yeah, spelling of Yeah, that I will, yeah. Um, and this book is all about the experience of flow in our lives and in our work. Mm. And so flow is essentially that feeling that you get when you are in the zone. So, you know, we all have those moments where we are doing something. For me, it's like public speaking. Mm -hmm. For someone else, it'll be writing a report. For some people, it will be reading. Yeah. Where time stands still, you forget yourself, the roof could cave in and you wouldn't notice. Um, you know, you're actually, you just feel like you're on fire. Yeah. And it's actually, you feel like it's the best you could feel about, okay. about what you're doing in your life. Yeah. Um, and it's absorbing. Um, and this book is about how to increase our ability to experience in the zone and flow moments yeah. um, through every aspect of our life. So in our relationships, in our interactions with people at work, through the work that we do. Um, and I love this book because really it takes you through the whole journey in the science of what we think of as happiness, which in some respects is seen as pleasure, i.e. my needs have been met. Yes. That was very pleasurable, my needs were met, versus enjoyment, which is my needs were met, but I also went above and beyond what I'm programmed to do or what I expected to achieve. That's where real enjoyment comes. So the book is all about how do we achieve enjoyment, growth and success in our lives by using our attention and our focus to be absorbed and in the zone. Very, like the whole theme of today has been very looking within, so mm. that's a perfect book. So just remind our audience what the book is called again. The book is called Flow, Flow. Um, and we will write the name of the author. Yes, Mihai we'll Chicks a little, and little snapshot, <laughs> little snapshot coming up, so get the yeah. book. And guys, if you've read the book, then let me know and let Arthur know what you found of it and your reviews. Um, and if you decide to go and buy it after this, then yeah, also let me know because it sounds really interesting and I'll have to get a copy of that too. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, just to say, I've actually written a review of this book that's going to be published in a positive psychology textbook next okay. year. So uh, you okay. could wait for that. But I would much rather you read the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll look at both because it's always good to read reviews and make up your own mind on things. So we encourage that. Where Great. can our Resilience Pod viewers find you? Um, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So please feel free to connect. I love connecting with people and following their work. Uh, there's also a, a Before Nine page on LinkedIn, which it would be great. You can follow, you can see the kind of work we get up to. Um, and then on Instagram, you can follow us at Before Nine Official. And that's, I guess, where you get the fun behind the scenes view on what we're putting out on LinkedIn very professionally. Yeah, great. So um, all the links below. Great. <laughs> great. So guys, connect with her. There's no excuse not to because she's available on pretty much every sort of social media outlet available so yeah she and she's got you've got an open invitation so. yes <laughs> right we are coming to the end now and it's gone so fast and so many things we've learned um Arthi's going to go through the mood book again and tell us how she's feeling after the so she's just flicking through it there, i mean there's like so many moods in this book 
Um, some of them are a bit strange, actually. <laughs> some of them are a bit strange. Um, but anyway, hopefully she's not like misunderstood or angry or anything like that. No, I'd actually have to say, I feel quite rocking. Um, and just to bring a little bit of positive psychology into that, yeah. when we talk about ourselves uh, in at our best, all the things that matter to us, um, science proves that actually we increase in positive emotion. So if you feel uncomfortable talking about yourself at your best and things that you love and things that you think that you do well, practice with people that you trust because um, it is a real mood increaser. Um, And here is the evidence for today's (laughs) example of that. Yeah, (laughs) definitely mirroring that, you know, there's so much uh, positivity and really good practical tips from the famous Dr. RPN Health. So, you know, not just to slip in the, the, the initials there, but guys, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the pod today and just sharing your amazing insights with everyone and inspiring us all to be better. I am so grateful for the opportunity and um, I just hope that um, people take something away that, that works for them. So thank you what, guys for watching yes. and thank you for being phenomenal at facilitating. Oh, no, you're welcome. <laughs> so guys, see you next time on the pod and stay tuned to follow Arthi ASAP. <laughs> Bye.